as he has, uh, can be opening to Zechariah chapter 11, where we will be this morning. We have a few more weeks of this uh, study in our, our the book of Zechariah in this study, and then we will <clears throat> be doing a series. Uh, we'll do some Psalms, I think, some Psalm Sundays leading up to Easter, and then uh, after Easter, we're beginning a series on calling and what, what calling is all about, our call as disciples, our call as men and women of God, what all that looks like and means. So that's just a, a let you know where we are heading in terms of our Sunday mornings together. All right, Zechariah chapter 11. The word of the Lord says, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus says the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those that, who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named Favor and the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed three shepherds, the three shepherds. But I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor, and I broke it, annulling the covenant I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered his right eye utterly blinded. But we ask that the preaching of your word would produce faith and fruitfulness in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You need to be glad that you're not a prophet. 
You know, it, uh, if ever you've done a spiritual gifting survey, and those can, those can be helpful. We don't want to put a lot of investment into them because it's the Spirit's interaction with us that gives us the gifting that we're to operate in. But sometimes in a spiritual survey, people will get, well, they'll discover that they're a prophet. And I was like, hey, make sure you double check that, take another one you want to have, because God calls prophets to do some really bizarre things. Now, disclaimer, spiritual gifting surveys can be useful, and God doesn't call prophets to do the same things. But Isaiah was told to walk around naked for three years, and he did it. Ezekiel was told to lie on his to lie on one side for nearly 200 days and lie on the other side for over 100 days for an entire year and to cook his food over cow dung. Prophets didn't have many friends because they were weird. They did some really bizarre things. God told them to do this. Hosea, remember him? Married a prostitute. Same one, twice. She runs off from him. He goes after her pays to get her back, and marries her again. Hosea had to name his children, not my people. No mercy. That's what he's naming his children. Zechariah is told in this passage to pastor a people who would not like him at all. This reminded me of the story of Charles Simeon, a 19th century pastor in Cambridge. He uh, taught at the university, uh, in the seminary part of the university, and he was, uh, he was told to go to a nearby church to preach there, which he did faithfully, but the church did not want him to be their pastor. And the, the, back then, uh, the, the congregation would invite a preacher to come speak on Sunday nights. It was kind of like, all right, The Church of England assigns us a Sunday morning preacher. We're going to get our own Sunday evening preacher. And typically, churches would invite the same pastor because they liked him. You're our pastor. We like you. You're going to preach on Sunday nights. Well, Charles Simeon's church decided to invite the pastor that they wanted to come preach on Sunday nights. So Charles Simeon would preach on Sunday mornings. And the people didn't like him, church didn't want him. The guy that they wanted, they invited on Sunday nights. They did that for 12 years. And finally, Charles Simeon won them over by his love for the Lord, his devotion to the Lord, as well as his sacrifice for them. And they began inviting him on those Sunday nights. And he served that church for 55 years. There's a steadfastness that I think sometimes we lack today's culture. God may not call us to do the things the Old Testament prophets did, but he does call us to be faithful to his will. Zechariah was told to be a pastor to the people in and around Jerusalem to give them a proper understanding of God's pastoring of them. As we've seen, though, the people have already been, they've been warned not to repeat the same sins as their fathers. Instead of listening and obeying, they're hardening their hearts and they're growing hardened in their hearts. Zechariah is told to pastor a hardened congregation who would rather have their own pastors over them than the one God gives. And the call to shepherd the flock of God for any pastor, no matter what the time period, is to be done as Jesus under shepherds. He is the chief shepherd, 
pastors are the under-shepherds. The life of a pastor should highlight the activity of Jesus caring for his flock as the good shepherd. Now, anytime we come to a passage about shepherds, uh, you know, and I've said this before, my ears perk up, uh, perk up because this is about me. This is, I'm, again, I'm giving you my job description, but one of, the, uh, one of the scariest things for me to read in Scripture is the beginning of verse 17, woe to my worthless shepherd. Uh, Ezekiel has some really harsh things to say about the shepherds who were not caring for the flock. They were caring, caring for themselves rather than caring for the flock of God. Every pastor is to point to Jesus. That's my job description. My job description is I want to love you to where you love Jesus and one another like Jesus. That's what we all want to do. And Zechariah is given this mission so people would recognize the good shepherd when he arrived on earth. Remember, he's still, Zechariah is still looking for that light that's going to pierce through. We're going to see that in the next chapter. The call uh, uh, to pastor is still the same. We are all pointing to Jesus. And this morning, this passage points us to the glory of Jesus as the good shepherd of his flock. Understanding the good shepherd should inspire faith to walk with and under pastors who reflect Jesus in word and deed. Now, the first section, that little poem that begins in the first few verses, one through three, is a, a it's it's a warning. It's all about trees, if you see. There's cedars and cypress and oaks. The opening here, the, the trees and their locations were regarded as symbols of strength. The trees are spoken of as decimated and leveled. And the strength that's been removed has now brought danger very near in the presence of lions. In the, the end of verse 3, the sound of the roar of the lions for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Everything that they have looked for, shepherds primarily, because that's, uh, that's what Zechariah is going after right here. He's telling the pastors and the priests and the leaders, hey, uh, all your strength that you have, it's a false confidence, and God's getting ready to crumble it before your eyes. He's telling the shepherds that their confidence will be judged to the point of crumbling. And the result of false confidence Whenever we have a false confidence, it leads directly to self-exaltation. We think more highly of ourselves than we should. The shepherds have not pointed to the flock, pointed the flock to God's care and provision. They've been wicked, and their own exaltation will, become, uh, will come crumbling down. Now, we always, no matter who we are, we have to be aware of false confidence, which is self-confidence. Our self-confidence will lead to our own self-exaltation. And this is prevalent, it's a prevalent temptation and sin in any form of leadership, no matter what it is, whether it's church or uh, in, the, in the culture. When the praise of man goes unchecked, it will produce an overestimation of our personal contribution. When the praise of man goes unchecked in us, we'll think, I've been doing a great job. And people should thank me more. And people should praise me more. But whenever we are in that overestimation and that self-exaltation, God says that's a, a false confidence and he will bring it down. Then Zechariah is told to be a shepherd in the place where there have been foolish shepherds to a flock that has been doomed to slaughter. Let's figure out what that is. 
simply put, the pastors, leaders that are there are called sheep traders. They're exploiting and they're using God's people for their own personal gain rather than encouraging them to look to God and being examples of God to the flock. Instead of shepherds that care for and keep the sheep, they're trading the sheep for power, possessions, and prestige. And all the while, they're saying, God's blessing me. Look how God's blessing me. There's no accountability from other shepherds telling them to stop or checking them. See that in verse 5. Then in verse 16, when Zechariah has to pastor them again, but he's pastoring them as a foolish shepherd, here's what the foolish shepherds are doing to you. They didn't seek out vulnerable sheep to care for them. They didn't grow the, the young or heal the maimed. They didn't nourish the healthy sheep. And they would desert the flock when it got too hard. Now I see in this examples in our day of all, all of these, every one of these situations. There are preachers that will use God's people to get money so they can get more things in this life that they deem valuable and successful, all the while saying, God bless me with it. But they're not really looking to nourish or heal the maimed. And there, there's sadly a there is and in our community uh, you know even within different churches, pastors I think the average time a pastor stays in a church is around two and a half years. And they're just looking for the next opportunity. They're looking usually to to kind of one-up the previous church they've been in and use each church as a stepping stone to something greater. And in our culture, in this community, I'm burdened because if you, you learn the, the history of the churches that are around here, many of them are there because of church splits. So the newer churches, and that's why we actually have been part of, uh, we've been a difference when we started, uh, people thought we had something against Lakeview. That's why we left Lakeview to come over here and start a church. And it was it was interesting as we were just just as I would tell the story for folks, they didn't have a category for. Oh, so they blessed you in coming over here? Yeah, they blessed. They sent us and they gave us fifty thousand dollars. They just it's mind blowing. Because that, in our culture, in this community, that's not the history of the churches here. The history of the church is either is a self-protection that leads to, I can't walk in commonality with you anymore. Because there's such a self-protection of what's going on. I, I, my conscience, I, I, can't, I, don't have, I can't walk. Or, what sadly is way prevalent, is moral failure. There's been moral failure after moral failure after moral failure where people have gotten so disillusioned in church that they'd rather not go or let me go to some place I can just hide. Let me go someplace that maybe has some programs that my family can benefit from and I don't have no expectation can come from me. We have, we have many wandering sheep in our community that have trusted shepherds only to be deserted by them and disillusioned by moral failure, hypocrisy, and arrogance. Now, it's our hope and prayer that we, 
we will be a home to wandering sheep. That is really what we desire. Now, the command to pastors is still very strong. In 1 Peter 5, uh, this is what the, the Apostle Peter tells every pastor, I exhort the elders among you as, fellow el- as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is coming to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Still, Old Testament principle, New Testament principle. Shepherd wisely and and be a reflection of the good shepherd. But that doesn't mean the flock is off the hook because there's a duty that the flock has. God will crumble the pride of foolish pastors, but the flock are not complete victims. The flock can also choose unwisely. We saw that in chapter 9, where, or, or I'm sorry, chapter 10 in the beginning, where they're, they're choosing shepherds that they want that'll make themselves feel better, but all they're doing really is, is chasing their sinful cravings and getting somebody in authority to agree with them. Sheep can seek out shepherds that further their cravings rather than lead them to living waters. The sheep can devalue truth to the point of hardening in unbelief. This happens culturally when appearances and programs shine large and replace a gospel light. Flocks that are doomed to slaughter have lost sight of that gospel light of truth. We want to shine bright with the truth. 2 Timothy 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, here's where I, I'm, not, I'm not thinking of churches right now. I'm thinking of people. See, preachers are plenty. Pastoring. Sheep, who, sheep need a pastor, not a preacher. I banged this drum a couple weeks ago. We can get a whole bunch of preaching in our ears. But are we choosing wisely in what we're listening to? that God still uses the faithful pastoral preaching in the local church as the body of Christ. Here is a now component. God wants to speak to this subject right now, whatever it may be that we're going through in Scripture. God wants this right now. That's why I think calling, we need to be reminded of that and challenged perhaps and, and say we need to think rightly about our calling, make sure it's not getting washed out. But we will go on and we will find preachers and their, the access to them is crazy. Careful that we just don't find ones that we like to listen to. Because preaching should do this. Preaching, and I heard this said years ago. Preaching should, when we are, it should comfort us when we're disturbed. And it should disturb us when we're comfortable. That's what preaching should do. Now, I'm not an in-your-face type of guy. I understand that. 
you, but that doesn't mean I'm a pushover. And uh, there have been many people who have been one-on-one meeting with me, and they see, oh, okay, Jeff kind of means what he says. Yeah, I do. I, I'm, we, th- when it comes to the Word of God, we need to love Jesus and exalt Him as first in everything. Period. End of sentence. My desire, our desire, that we do that over and over and over again to make sure that the Word of God is really finding a place in our hearts and finding effect in us to build faith and uh, awaken faith, build faith to see Jesus greater. Now the flock, you, should be looking for the preaching of God's Word to do the very same thing, to comfort the disturbed. Pick on the guy that had mouth surgery. Comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable because we need to live by faith. When both are done well and in love, I believe we see Jesus. And when both are done well and in love, Jesus' light pierces through the darkness that we walk through and it pierces through the discouragement that is always right around the corner. Now, Zechariah, in his call to pastor these people that don't want him to pastor them, it is, it's foreshadowing the good shepherd. It's foreshadowing Jesus' ministry on the earth. The first thing, think about that. He's told to shepherd a flock that was doomed to slaughter. Zechariah is told to pastor a flock that wandered and was afflicted and didn't know it, didn't believe it. I'm okay, everything's fine. See, the delusion of false confidence is thinking that we see and we have a clear estimation of what's going on when we're blinded by our desires and our cravings. Jesus also came to a doomed flock that would reject him, John 1. Not sure why it says 9 to 1 right there. I think it should be 9 and 10. This is John 1, 9 and 10. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And Zechariah takes two staffs and he names them, one favor and the other union. The staff was a regular tool of a shepherd in order to help gather and guide sheep, also to protect the sheep. Zechariah came to the people with God's favor when they didn't deserve it. And he came representing a union with God that they were not honoring. Jesus also came as the embodiment of favor and union with God. He dwelt among us, John 1.14. And the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See how this is mirroring? Zechariah is living in a way saying Jesus is the one that's going to be the, the good shepherd. He's going to be the one to shepherd the flock. Now, Zechariah comes to a place that he rejects the flock that had already rejected him. They detested him. Um, Where was that? In verse 8. In a month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. It came to the point of saying enough is enough. He began with grace and zeal. This is going to be a good partnership. We're going to go. This is going to be great. He, He brought discipline on three shepherds, but then he grew impatient. Now, we can probably guess that the people around him, because this always happens, when everybody, oh, when everybody gets impatient, we think, you're just being unreasonable. And they're probably thinking Zechariah is just being unreasonable. You don't know the whole story. Come on, you need to be more patient. Shouldn't you be more like Jesus? 
But the reality was they didn't want him to pastor them. They were obedient only to their unholy craving. He gave the sheep over. Zechariah gives the sheep over to what they wanted. You want a foolish shepherd? All right, it's what you're going to get. And we think about God in this way. Zechariah's actions resemble God. It gives us understanding of God. God is a patient God. He is amazingly patient with us. He waits longer than we want him to wait. He waits to bring discipline longer than we want. He waits to bring judgments. We want Jesus just come back, please end everything, make it over. We got to be careful that we're just not saying that just to make our lives easier. I'm just tired of the suffering, get me in heaven. The reason Jesus is not back right now is because there's more people that need to be saved. God is being patient. And he's saying there are more sheep that are not of this fold. So he waits. But there is a point that he will say, not. Now, part of God's wisdom is, especially with, we do this sometimes with our kids to a certain degree, when they are are fussing and fussing and fussing to get what they want, and we think it's not going to be the best idea, we'll say, all right, let's try your way. Let's see if that works. To hopefully stir in them, um, I didn't have the right wisdom in this, and this was a bad idea. God does the same thing, but he gives us over to our cravings, and that's destructive to us. You know, with our kids, we can hopefully manage what's going on so they don't really hurt themselves, but God says, you really want that? Romans 1 tells us that he gave everybody over to their cravings, which is a form of judgment. You want those cravings? Go ahead. Feast on them. You want the quail? Here. While it's still, the meat was still in their teeth, we're told in Numbers, a plague came and judgment come on the people of God for complaining about God's provision. God has a limit. But his final limit is judgment in hell. So we are, we should be grateful. God, you, get, you gave us another day to pray for our loved ones to be saved gave us a day, another day, to shine with your gospel light so others can see it and hopefully trust you, that we are, we are linking a chain of your saving grace to them to rescue them from their sin and deliver them from destruction. Jesus had a limit as well in Matthew 23. He looks at Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Jesus pronounces a judgment on them. I wanted you. You said no. You're going to taste the desolation of the separation. When God gives his people over to their sinful cravings, his favor over them is broken. And we see that when uh, Zechariah breaks the staff named favor. God's favor is broken. He's given you over to your desires. And then there's a, Zechariah goes to ask for his wages. Even giving them an out if they didn't want to pay him. Hey, I'd like to get paid. If not, you can keep it. They collected, they value him, but they value him with a contempt. They collected 30 pieces of silver in their love offering. Hey, we're collecting some money. 
for the pastor, 30 pieces of silver. Now, this wasn't an arbitrary thing. Uh, we, we learn in the Old Testament and the law that this was the price to be paid when a slave died from being gored by an animal. So it was the price of a slave. They were telling Zechariah, you're worthless to it. You're even dead. Zechariah's response to their contempt was a sign that their money was worthless to him. He throws it back in the temple to the potter. Now, the potter was responsible in the, the temple to fashion out of uh, silver and bronze, to fashion all the utensils that were used in the, the, for the sacrifices and for everything that went on in temple worship. He throws it at the potter, but we know, you should remember, the 30 pieces of silver has a striking similarity to what Judas goes to the Pharisees, the sheep traders, those Pharisees who were getting rich and saying, God's blessing me because they were straining gnats to get it from God's people. Judas says, what will you give me for turning him over to you? They collected what? 30 pieces of silver. Now, in Exodus, it was 30 shekels. That's why we, we carry the inflation. They valued his life at 30 pieces of silver, essentially saying, this man is worthless to us. He's dead. Now, after Judas sought to undo his evil, he recognizes that was a bad idea. He goes back to them and says, I don't want this. They say, we can't take it back. It's blood money. What does he do? He throws it in the temple. And the guys say, we can't, the Pharisees say, we can't put this in the treasury. Uh, let's get it. And we're going to buy a field. And that field was the potter's field. There was a there was a, a cemetery for strangers and nameless people. The very same people that Jesus came to save. Nameless, the worthless, and the Now, he then he breaks the staff favor, then he breaks the staff union. Zechariah. When he breaks this, he's symbolizing that the people's union with God was broken. Their union with one another was broken. Judah and Israel is broken. The covenant is symbolized as broken. But just this is really cool because the covenant was really never dependent upon man's ability to obey the covenant. When God made the covenant with Abraham, he signaled to himself I'm the one that's going to fulfill this covenant. Abraham's sleeping. He's smoking fire pot and a torch symbolizing God himself. He's walking through the animal that was torn and, and cut in two. God says, I'm going to fulfill this covenant with Abraham in order to bring about salvation and blessing to my people. So when, when Zechariah breaks the staff, it points to, yes, the covenant has been broken, but it's not up to people to fix the covenant. It's up to God to fix the covenant. See, because that broken staff favor and that broken staff union, those four pieces will be reassembled when Jesus gets on this earth, and they will be put in the shape of a cross, and Jesus gets on that cross, and he says, I have authority to lay my life down. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down, and I take it back up again. I'm going to initiate and inaugurate a new covenant, and a covenant that will be an everlasting covenant, a covenant 
that Jesus brings. That's the, a new covenant that would bring the favor and union of God to show up in the presence of his spirit indwelling every single believer. And the last act for Zechariah is to go back to the people so they would know what a foolish shepherd really was like. He'd be ruthless like their foolish shepherds. And we see this ruthless shepherding in the form of the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests in Jesus' day. They too exhorted, uh, extorted, and exploited to gain power and possession and prestige. Zechariah gave a woe to the foolish shepherds in verse, verse 17. God would strike their arm and eye, rendering them powerless and blind. Remember, Jesus had some strong words for the Pharisees about being blind, about being powerless. In Matthew 23, there's a series of seven woes. Zechariah just had one. Jesus has seven different woes. This woe is the same woe that Isaiah had, that woe, I'm dead because I am a sinner. This is the woe that Jesus is pronouncing on them. A little bit of what he says, for they, they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move to move them with their finger. This is, this is the key that Jesus said. If you're looking for effective shepherding, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, will be crumbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That's what Jesus points to in himself in John 10. He's pointing to that sacrifice. But interestingly, look at the beginning, John 10, 1 and 2. Truly, truly, I say to you, he, uh, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees, the scribes and the priests, the leadership. He's saying to the people who should have been an example of, of his care and love for his people. He says, you know what? I'm the door. And if you want to be a good shepherd, you got to come through me. You don't come through me and you climb in another way. You're just a thief and a robber. And he goes on describing in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. Meaning, all those Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, he's telling this now to the people. They're thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go, will, go, will go in and out and find pasture. That's the comfort and the peace, the shepherding that Jesus provides. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, we know that's a reference to Satan himself. But in the context of what Jesus describes, that's foolish pastors. Foolish pastors who steal and kill and destroy the flock out of a desire for personal gain. Whoa. Whoa. Jesus came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's, that's the call and the commission for everybody. For pastors 
as well as congregation. We are all to serve. We're to serve and lay our lives down. Sacrifice is the mark of true and good caring for the flock of God. But we are all ministers of sacrifice. We're all ministers of Jesus' sacrifice to point to his good shepherding in our lives. So really it boils down to, I got a lot of application points for me in this message because I'm a pastor. But for you, be looking for Jesus. When you don't see him, say something. If you're questioning, say something. Use pastors to be be the instrument that God, because God designed it, choose that to comfort and also challenge your life where you are spiritually. Give access. Give access. And I, this is, I don't know what to correct because it's wonderful to serve this church. It is absolutely mind-blowing that I get to serve this church in this capacity. God wants us to grow. And so we grow by saying, all right, Lord, what do I need to do? We need to look for Jesus. We all do. We need to serve. We need to serve one another, to point one another to Jesus, because that's, that's his ministry. And it's the ministry of the Spirit that comes to us and builds us up into mature manhood. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, by your grace and your mercy, Give us ears to hear. And give us understanding, Father. Understanding of how you are our shepherd. You are the one that gathers us and guides us and protects us. Father, I pray for myself that I would continue to be a a clear reflection of Jesus the good shepherd. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would grow into mature manhood, but God, I also ask that you would gather to us lost sheep, that they would be saved. I pray, God, that you would please gather to us wandering sheep, those who have not had a a, a home, a church home, a flock to be a part of because of disillusionment, discouragement, desertion, Whatever the category, Father, I pray that you would bring to us wandering sheep and they would find a home just as we found them. And continue to grow us up, God. Continue to grow us up and add to our number as we seek to care for and love on and serve to be a reflection of your glory. 